right, brothers and sisters and young people, we'll hand it over to Uncle Bob, who's going to deal with the subject brilliant at the basics. Thanks, Uncle Bob. Good evening, my beloved brother and young pe- brothers and sisters and young people. I'm really glad to be back with you again. Good to see so many faces which we've got to know and love over the weekend. Of course, some of them we've known and loved for a long time. Since I've known some of you for such a long time, some of your faces have changed. I went to my 60th high school class reunion. I'm not going to do that anymore. All the other people are so old and bald and fat, they don't recognize me. (laughs) It was full of all old people. (laughs) What would you expect if you graduated 60 years ago from high school? Well, our subject tonight is brilliant at the basics. Now, I didn't invent that term. I stole it. If you steal one good idea, it's plagiarism. Steal lots of good ideas, it's research. So, so I have researched, and this title came from a man who's famous in America and probably totally unknown over here. His name was Vince Lombardi. He was a head football coach for the Green Bay Packers, which you call gridiron football. It's a professional football team in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And in the early days of professional football, they created a dynasty. They won the big game they called the Super Bowl year after year after year. I mean, they were beating all the other teams every year. And so one year they came to Vince and said, are you going to win the Super Bowl again? He says, of course. He was quite common. He said, what, what's your secret? Why is it that you win over all the other teams every year? Now his answer is what we're going to talk about tonight. We're keying off of football, but we're, we're going to apply it to a much more important subject, and that is your walk in the truth. But the lesson he taught his football players, we want you to learn, and not apply it to sports, to apply it to your life of serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what he says. He said, we're not going to do anything fancy. We're just going to learn the basics of football. We're going to learn to run and punt and block and kick and pass. And we're going to practice these until we do them flawlessly. We are going to become brilliant at the basics. Not that the other teams don't know these, but they're not going to do them as well as we are. And we will be champions again. And he was. Now, we are professional followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to win. And if we want to win the battle of following the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to find out what are the basics of doing that. And we're going to practice them and do ourselves until we do them brilliantly. And when you do them brilliantly, you will become brilliant at the basics and you will be a champion for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, every sport has certain fundamentals which are important. If you play the game of golf, you're supposed to keep your head down. If you do this as you're hitting the ball, it's not going to go where you want it to do. you got to keep... In tennis, you've got to follow through. In baseball, in soccer, in, 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 in uh, rugby, I suppose. I don't understand rugby balls. I don't understand soccer at all. I, don't, I understand soccer a little bit. I don't understand uh, cricket at all. I, I, you have a sticky wicket, but I touched one and it wasn't. <laughs> But every sport has certain basics, and you learn those, and you do them well, and you will excel in that sport. So now we want to do that and lift it to a higher level, because God wants you to be brilliant at the basics. How are you going to do this, and what are they, and how are we going to know what they are? Well, before we get into it, we're going to talk about the Pareto Principle. You have the Prado principle over here, even though you may not never heard of the word Prado. I don't know who Prado was. It's also known as the 80-20 rule. You know the 80-20 rule? Is that familiar to you? 80-20 rule of the Prado principle goes like this. It applies to everything in, in, in a business. And the thing that's surprising, it works in the ecclesias too. And the 80-20 rule is that 80% of the business is done by 20% of the people, and 20% of the business is done by 80% of the people. And it works at every phase of business. If you have a huge warehouse, 80% of your talk turns over to, talk, stock turns over 20% of the time, 20% 80%. If you have uh, people buying on credit, 80% of your people give you 20% of your problems, 20% of your people give you 80% of the problems. And it also applies to the sales. 
80% of the sales are sold by 20% of the people, and 20% of the sales are sold by 80% of the people. Now, the people who are in business have studied this to try to figure out how to get the people out of the 80% and into the 20%. And that's our goal tonight with you in your collegiate life. Get out of that 80% and get into the 20%. Because in the business world, the 20% who sell 80% of the stuff make 16 times more money than the 80% who only sell 20% of the work. Now, are they 16 times smarter? No. Do they work 16 times harder? No. Yet, they're 16 times more successful in life. So if the, if the 80% make 10,000 a year, the 20% makes 160,000 a year. Pretty big difference, you know. Wow, it makes a lot more money than that. You could be there if you got out of the 80% and got into the 20%. And, and the difference between the 80% and the 20% is that the 20% are brilliant at the basics of whatever business they're in. Now, you see, this actually applies in an ecclesia. Now, I have never been in this ecclesia in my life. It's a beautiful hall. I'm, thank you for inviting me here. Nice to be a guest. I hope you may not want to have me back after tonight. But, but 80% of the work in most ecclesias is done by 20% of the people. And 20% of the work is done by 80% of the people. And so some of us are brilliant at the basics and some of us are not. And I don't know where you are on that 80-20, but you're going to know by the end of the evening because you've got that little yellow slip. And so we're going we're to have a test. And the test is I'm going to ask you questions. And, and, and when I ask you a question, you're going to write down a number. I don't want you to write down the, qu the question at all because you, you, you won't remember what I'm saying. You just say number one and I'm going to give you a question. When you get through, you put down a number between one and ten after that. And you do that for ten questions and you add it up and you will know if you're brilliant at the basics. But you will also know in what areas of your life you need to work on to bring up the low scores to the higher scores. And this kind of thing can literally change your life if you will apply it. Now, I've done this thing all over the world. It's an amazing thing. But when I do it in third world, world countries, they all, some of them come up and say they got 110%. If you get 100, you're cheating. <laughs> I don't think it's possible for anyone. You can write down anything you want to write. And it's really, oh, another thing about third world countries, they always come and tell me their score. I don't want to know your score. This is personal. This is private. This is between you and God. If you want to share it with your spouse or your kids, you can, but, but you don't need to. I, just write down your numbers and fold this up, and you don't have to share this with anybody else. But when you get the, the second sheet, and the second sheet is going to give you the questions that we've asked, so that when, you, when you get through with this sheet, you're just going to have ten numbers opposite from these one to ten. You'll have a six, a seven, a five, a four, a three, two, nine, whatever. And then you're going to take this sheet and transfer these numbers to these ten questions. And then you will know which of these, what, what number you gave yourself on that particular. Then you take this home, and this is what you work on. I got a three there. That, I, that's, that's a lot of room for improvement there. Well, I got a nine there. That's pretty good. And uh, if you give yourself all nines and tens, well, you would cheat in other things too. <laughs> so, and, and you know, I've had people come up to me after this and be mad at me. I got a low score. And they're mad because they got a low score. I said, you gave it to yourself. <laughs> so, so I hope you won't be unhappy because of the score that you got. But I hope that the score that you, there's plenty of seats up here. Don't, don't, come on up here. They're all free. There's one right there. <laughs> See, it pays to be late. Go, come to the front. So, so we want to figure out how we can get out of that 80% of the group and into the 20% of the group that are, are really doing something. And that's the reason for our question, our, our, our evening program. So... In sports, sometimes people just barely win. In a racehorse, I, you have this Melbourne Cup thing, I don't know. I, I 
win at playing the horses because I don't play. <laughs> and I've been told that horses are smarter than people because they don't bet on people. <laughs> we have a big racetrack near our house, and uh, I, I think that kind of thing is a... Well, I'm not into that kind of stuff. I, I think all gambling is bad. I suppose uh, racehorse gathering has a little bit more science to it. At least you're looking at a horse, but uh, who knows what they're going to do. But uh, that horse may win by a nose, photo finish, and it takes home all the money, and the one who came in second didn't get the money. The one that came in fourth got nothing. In the Olympics, you have gold and bronze and silver medals. The guy that comes in fourth gets it. And, and it could be just six uh, fractions of seconds sometimes between. And so, at the judgment seat of Christ, there's going to be some people that just barely got in. I mean, there's going to be a wide range of people who you got in, but you just barely, and others got in you know, with some spare. And there's going to be some that just barely didn't get into the kingdom. They, they just didn't do quite what God asked them. It's going to be a fair answer. You won't be able to appeal it. It's going to be right. It may not be what you want, but in one of our hymns we sing, you make the answer now. So you are deciding in this life now what your score will be, and now you can work on the low numbers and bring them up so that when the Lord Jesus comes to call you to answer for what you have done, he will say, you have been brilliant at the basics. I'm not, I don't think he'll say those words. But it will be the result of having done these things well. Now you could probably think of more than 10 things. I, I've got, I've gelled it down to 10. You could make 20, you could make 100. But I think if you took these 10 and really did all of them brilliantly, I believe you'd be in the kingdom. Not that you will have learned, earned the kingdom. You cannot earn the kingdom. It's a gift of God. Nothing we can do justifies it, the gift that's being offered us. But he's not going to give it to you if you don't want it more than anything else in all the world. And if you're not doing the things that he asked you to do in order to, uh, to, to achieve it. So now if you have something to write with, you have something to write on, I'm going to ask you ten questions. Now, do not write, start writing the minute that I start talking. Let me finish each question and then I'll pause a minute and you just put down a number. If it's something you do all the time, perfect, absolutely, can't do better, give yourself a ten. If it's something you never ever do, give yourself a zero. If you do it about half the time, give yourself a five, you know, once in a while, three or four, most all the time, seven or eight, nine. You are going to decide the number that you're going to get. So if you don't like the number that you're giving yourself, that will be an area for you to work on. And that's the whole purpose of this. this. This whole evening is to try to help us get into the kingdom. What what can we say and do that will have a tangible effect in your personal life? that you'll be a more profitable servant to the Lord Jesus Christ because you are now working at these basics that you're trying to become brilliant at. Number one coming up. Do I do my daily Bible readings every day? Daily means every day. Not once a month, not once a week, not every... Other other day, every day you do your Bible reading. If you never ever miss, give yourself a ten. Here's an area where you could get a ten. If you just, if you miss a day, you make it up, and so at the end of the year you have not missed one day. But you see, doing the daily Bible readings is not all you should do. That's a minimum we should be doing. Uh, we should be studying, and, 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 and when we read a chapter, think about when I was a young boy. An older brother in our ecclesia got all of us young kids together and he gave us a little talk on learning how to exhort. And he said, every time you read a chapter, pretend that when you finish reading it, you'll have to get up and give a 10-minute talk on it. And you, if you will read a chapter that way, you'll be amazed how much more you get out of it. 
So this is all. So what we had done in our family when our kids were home, we would read a chapter, and then we would ask questions about the readings to the children, and they'd have to ask. And so they had to be thinking of what I might be asking as we're reading. And when I get all through, I say, well, now, and I call them by name, what did you think of it? And I'd have harder questions for the older ones and simpler questions for the younger ones. But trying to get them to think about what they're reading. You can read, and your mind can kind of go off, and you get to the end of the chapter, and you have a clue what you read. Well, that didn't do you any good. So we have to read with understanding. Now, this is a shocking statement, but it's in the Bible, so I'm going to make it. And when I make this statement, sometimes people think, I, don't, I never read that in the Bible. But the Bible says, if you don't do your Bible readings, don't bother to pray. Now, did you know the Bible said that? Well, it does. It's a loose translation. <laughs> this is the exact wording. It's Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 9. And Solomon says, He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. So what God is saying through Solomon, and it was inspired, that if you turn away from doing your Bible readings, don't bother to pray. Now you, oh, I've, I've had Christadelphians, particularly people who are beginning to leave the truth, they, the first thing that happens is they stop doing the Bible readings. And I had one sister come up to my office one day. She hadn't been to a meeting for a few months. And, I, and her name happened to be Mary. And I said, Mary, you're doing your Bible readings? She said, no, no, I'm not. But she said, I'm praying every day. Well, I didn't quote this verse to her at that moment, but it would apply. She had no time to listen to God. She still wanted God to listen to her. And God is really saying to us, I'll listen to you if you listen to me. Have you ever been around somebody that's talking, never stop talking? You can't hardly get in a word edgewise. This one, one lady was not a Christian. She was divorcing her husband. And she told the judge, my husband has not spoken to me in 20 years. And the judge said, is that right? And he said, yes, you are. He said, why? He said, I didn't want to interrupt her. <laughs> now, there are people like that. <laughs> they do all the talking, and they never listen. And they don't listen to God. And God said, if you won't listen to me, I'm not going to listen to you. And when you open your Bible, I talk to you. And when you pray, you talk to me. And we want both of them. But don't forget, number one is you listen to me first. So, I cannot overemphasize the importance of daily Bible readings. We are considered the people of the Word. And if we're not reading it, we're not. And so the Bible Companion was invented, created by a young teenage boy named Robert Roberts. He was just a teenager when he did it. I think it's, it's brilliant. It's not inspired. And you don't have to use a Bible Companion to do the daily Bible readings. But you need a plan. And you need to work the plan you have. And I think it's the best plan because it gives you a variety. You start off in three different places, uh, Genesis and Psalms and Matthew, and you end up in, in, in uh, Job and uh, Malachi and Revelation. And then you go about, repeat the New Testament all over again. And it's a wonderful way. But it's not the only way. So I'm, don't misunderstand me that I'm telling you you have to use a Bible companion. I'm just saying you have. It's not, a, not an option. You have to read the Bible every day. And if you go through 24 hours a day, and you didn't read the Bible that day, 24 hours, you don't have that. You don't have 20 minutes for God in 24 hours? Oh, God, I love you, but I don't have time to read. I, I love to tell this story because back in old art, when I was a young boy, girls and boys used to write letters to each other. Now you email and you, you uh, I don't know what you call it, on the cell phone, text, yeah, text. I don't know how to do that. Uh, but we used to write letters. And you just imagine, you're a young fella, and you've got a girlfriend you met at a conference, and she lives in Adelaide or Perth. And she writes you a letter on pink paper. <laughs> and it's scented. And you go out to the mailbox, and you open oh, there's a letter from my sweetie. Oh, she is so cute. Oh. <laughs> she has written me a letter. And you're so glad to get this letter. And you come into the house and you say, when I have time, I'm going to read that. 
and you put it on the mantle. Because you're busy. You've got homework. You've got work to do. You don't have time to read that letter. You, you, you've got things to do. Oh, yeah? <laughs> you're opening that letter before you even get inside the house. Whoa, what did she say? Why? Because you love her and she is sending you a message. Now, what's the Bible? It's God's love letter to you. He loved you so much. He wrote this so you could be saved. And then you tell him, oh, I love you, but I don't have time to read your letter. He will know you don't really love him. And so, number one is how often do you read the Bible? <coughs> Put a number down by number one. Just a number. Don't, don't write out the question. Ten if you always do it, zero if you never do, and you pick the number in between that fits you. Question number two is coming up. Because we talked about prayer, number one. God's saying don't bother to pray if you don't read. But he does want us to pray. And so prayer is number two. And prayer is very important. You say, well, I pray. I say, I always pray for my food, you know, and then when we eat. Uh, but how real is your prayer life? Do you realize who you're talking to when you pray? You're talking to Almighty God. And the creator of heaven and earth is willing to listen. God has time to listen if you have time to pray. And I had people say, you know, I didn't, I didn't say pray today. Yeah, boy, I was a busy. I, the alarm went off and I, I, I didn't get up. And I rushed through and I got to work and, you know, things happened and I came home and I fell into bed. Didn't have time to pray today. God knows if you did or you didn't. God knows the quality of your prayer. Do you pray so fervently? You know what James says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. If you just say words, you memorize a little prayer, and you just say, you know that little prayer that talking dogs used, do, dolls used to have, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I'd be scared to go to sleep if I had that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, that's a stupid little prayer, I think. <laughs> but but the, the point is, are, are your prayers just wrote? That, that's the question we're coming to. Do, do, do you feel what you're saying? And do you have a prayer list? Are you praying for people you know that need your prayers? So number two has to do with prayer. I'm not just asking you, do you pray? But the quality of your prayers, are you concentrating on, on God when you pray? Are, are you thinking that he's, he, he's willing to listen? And do you feel almost sometimes wrung out after a prayer because you have just poured out your heart to God? One of my favorite verses in all the Bible uh, is from the Phillips translation, Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. Don't worry about anything, whatever. Tell God every detail of your needs in earnest and thankful prayer. That's what we're talking about. Tell God every detail of your needs in earnest and thankful prayer. And then what happens? The peace of God which transcends human understanding will keep constant guard over your hearts and minds as they rest in Christ Jesus. So that's a good verse, but it doesn't help you if you don't know it. So I recommend it as a verse to memorize. But it does talk about fervent prayer. So give yourself a number now, under opposite number two, about your prayer life. If it's perfect, and you couldn't do any better Prayers are just perfect every time. Give yourself a 10. <laughs> and if, if, you, if another number fits, give yourself whatever number you see fits you. Okay, now we come to question number three. Number three is this. And this one you can say yes to for tonight for sure. Because question number three is, do I always come to the meetings? And here you are. You came tonight. Now, you didn't have to come tonight. I don't know how faithful you are at coming out to. We have people in our area that we have a guest speaker from some way. Everybody comes. We have our own speakers. They stay away in droves. Uh, so I don't know about you. And I don't want to know about you. It's none of my business. This is a self-examination test. But are you faithful at the things that are going on in this ecclesia or whatever it is you belong to? You see, if you don't go to the meeting, whatever it is you did was more important than the meeting because you did that instead of going to meeting. Now, you might not want to say that, but you don't have to say it, you prove it. 
We had a brother from England come over to our Bible school years ago. His name was Peter Reynolds. He's fallen asleep. Wonderful brother. And he gave a talk about Aunt Mamie. We say aunt, I know. But English in Australia, you say aunt. I'm trying to speak your language. Uh, and they say, well, aunt, that's a little thing that crawls around. But we call aunts and uncles aunts, not, not aunts. But you call, you know what I'm talking about anyway. Her name was Mamie. <laughs> and she wasn't a Christadelphian. And she's coming to visit this Christadelphian home. She lives far away. She, she's in Perth. And she's coming all the way out here to spend a... And she's rich. She might remember you in her will. You hope, 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 hope. And so she comes out to visit. And so she's not a Christadelphian. And Sunday morning you go to meeting. Well, you do normally, but Aunt Mamie's here. So the family said, what, what will we do? Well, Aunt Mamie, she won't go. We've already asked her. She said, no, no, no. Well, we can't leave Aunt Mamie at home. We'll go off the meeting. So we'll all stay home and have a nice chicken dinner with Aunt Mamie in this meeting. And Peter Reynolds said, you just said that Aunt Mamie's tummy is more important than the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, <gasps> He says, you never would say that. You don't need to. You proved it. Your actions said that her tummy was more important than Jesus. Now, that sounds almost sacrilegious, doesn't it? But do you allow things not as important as the Lord Jesus Christ to keep you away from the table on a Sunday morning? Do you allow things not so important to keep you away from the midweek Bible class, the CYCs, the Sunday school, whatever's going on? If something is going on in this hall, and you're a member of this ecclesia, or a member of the Sunday school, you ought to be here. And if you don't come, whatever it is you are doing is more important. I've got to tell you this story <laughs> because it, it had to do with the, uh, a young boy who's they were going to have a Sunday evening lecture. And he, he had, he'd been to a meeting in the morning, but he said, Dad, this afternoon, this evening, I'm not going to go back tonight. He says, you're not. He says, no. He says, I've got a headache. And he says, he says I've got a big test tomorrow. And he says, I've got to get, the, get ready for that test. He says, uh, I'm going to stay home tonight. And the father said, yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. He says, did you hear the phone ring while I go? He said, yeah, I did, yeah. He said, what well, was the recording brother? He just phoned to say that his niece, Susie Gorgeous Face, has come out to visit him. And she's going to be there tonight, and she sure wanted to see you. <laughs> Susie Gorgeous Face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would like to be there. So, he says, you know, Dad, we, we really should support the uh, evening after the <laughs> I mean, the father could see through this. This is so transparent. He says, you know, I think I'll go take an aspirin, and I think my head will get better. And he says, uh, I'll go in early in the morning and talk to the professor. I think I can get an extension on this test. Now, you see, he was giving excuses why he didn't want to go, which weren't the real reason he didn't want to go. But now Susie Gorgeous Face is going to be there. Now he wants to go. So now he's making up excuses. His, his dad's not buying all this. He, he's trying to convince himself. But you see, this is the way you and I are. We talk ourselves into doing what we want to do. And so if we want to do it, we find a reason for doing it. If we don't want to do it, we can find an excuse why we don't want to do it. But you should not have excuses to keep you away from what's going on in your ecclesial life applies to brothers and sisters, applies to young people, applies to all of us. And whatever it is you do when something else is going on, if you, go to, if you don't do it, then it's more important than the meeting. So now that's number three, and now you, you give yourself a, a grade on how faithful you are. If you are at everything that goes on in this, because you never miss anything, give yourself a 10. If it's less than that, you pick what number applies for you. Now number four is different. Every one of these is a little bit different. Some of them have similar, but there's, there's a difference in each one. Number four, am I thoughtful of others? Am I always thinking, what can I do to help someone else? How can I make another person's burden a little lighter? Do I respond when I hear that someone is sick, lonely, discouraged? Uh, do, do, do I really have a caring attitude about my... We had a teenage boy in our ecclesia. His name was Dennis. He later became the recording brother. But this is back when he was a teenager. And he bought a box of get well cards. Cheapies, you know. They weren't Hallmark or any fancy one. 
And he just carried my home. And every time we made an announcement, old Sister Jones is ill today, not able to come. Brother, Brother Smith had a stroke and he's in hospital. Uh, So-and-so had an automobile accident. He would go home and dig out a card and write and says, hope you feel better, love Dennis, and mail it to him. These old people would get a card signed by a, a teenager. Can you believe a teenager would send a card to an old person who was sick? They, they were flabbergasted. He, he, he won over so many hearts with a cheap bunch of box of cards and a few stamps. It took him almost no time. He, he noted who was ill or something, and he just, right, we have a dress list, just look it up, drop it in the mail. He, it was wonderful. He grew up, and he, he's taught his kids to be that way now, too, I'm thankful to say. But you see, number four, it has to do with how caring we are of others. Now, whenever I give this talk, I always give out an address. So you've got, you're ready. I want you to be ready to write down an address. I, I did this in England at a very big gathering. And before the gathering began, I said, I need a name of somebody that we can all send a card to. And they said, well, how about Sue Hennage? Well, I didn't know Sue Hennage. Well, I never heard of her. Well, Sue Hennage lived in London, and she was walking in the underground, under the streets of London, and she walked by a telephone booth, and just as she walked by it, it exploded and blew her leg off. Now, there was, that bomb was set by the IRA, the, uh, the Irish people who are protesting uh, the British. And she was in the hospital with one leg, near death. So someone gave me her address. So I gave that address out that evening. Now most of the people in that audience had never heard of her just like I had never heard of her. But she began to get cards. And she got hundreds of cards because it was a big gathering. And she wrote me afterwards because she didn't know why all of a sudden she was so popular. Every day the nurses were bringing in more cards. You have some more cards, Sue. And she wrote me, she said, I was wanting to die. She said, I felt my life was over. I was, she's just a young girl, no leg. She said, I started getting cards from people I didn't even know, but they wrote little words of encouragement. They told me they were praying for me. She said, gave me the will to live. Now, a few years later, I'm back in England, and I'm at another gathering, and a real perky, sweet little girl walking. She says, hi, Bob, I'm Sue Hannage. I had to think about you know, you know the, the one you sent the cards to. She had a, a, a phony leg, prosthesis, and, and she, she wasn't even hardly limping. And she says, you do not know what effect those cards had on me. Now, it wasn't a big deal. No one spent very much money, and they didn't spend very much time. But what they did, they reached out to someone hurting, and that person benefited from their caring. So now I'm going to give you a name. I'm going to ask every one of you. And when I do this, I have to make sure I do it too. There's no use me asking you to send a card to somebody and then I not do it. But this is a very dear sister to me. I first met her when she was doing missionary work with her husband in India. And I went over there to teach at an Indian Bible school. And we've been close friends, although we never see each other. She's someone I feel very close to. And she's been battling cancer. And they thought it was in remission. And it's come back. And now she's going through chemo again. I talked to her on the phone last night. And we, I'm praying for her to recover. Her family's praying for her recovery. Now since you're going to know her name, even if you have never met her, but you, some of you may know her because her family is in this audience. Her name is Sister May, M-A-Y, easy name, Venn, V like victory, E-N-N, May Venn. And her address is 8, just the number 8, Dart, D-A-R-T, D-A-R-T Street. And that's Redland Bay. Is that New South Wales? Queensland. Redland Bay, Queensland. And the zip code is 4165. Now what I hope is going to happen this next week, she's going to get cards from all of you saying, we hope you're, doing, you're, you're fighting the battle. We hope, we, we, once you know we're, you're in our prayers, we hope you're feeling better. 
If you don't know what to say, just write love and sign your name to it. But send her a card. It will do a world of good for her to get a card from you, even if you don't know her. She's Donna May's mother. Her grandchildren are in the audience too. Now, I'm asking just for one card, but what I'm trying to do is set a pattern that you will carry on long after I'm gone to anyone you know about who you can help. And you don't have to even know the person. You just have to know what happened to the person and that they're in need of, of cards. Anyway, you could call her, but you don't need to. It's cheaper just to send a postcard. But just some kind of contact with her. And that's number four. Uh, how, how good are you at doing that? Uh, don't give yourself a ten because you sent out one card. <laughs> but but if, if you don't do this very often, give yourself a low number and say, hey, there's, here's an area where I can work on this. I could, I could do one a week. I can find somebody that needs a, a, a word of encouragement every week. It doesn't have to be in Europe, please. It can be anywhere in the world. Uh, Sue Hennish doesn't need him anymore. I'm thankful she recovered. <laughs> when I was give, giving these talks uh, a few years ago, we had a brother in Ireland that was fighting cancer. And uh, everywhere I went, I'd give out this, his address and he'd get cards from that area. And one day he started getting cards from Hong Kong. He said, I guess Bob's in Hong Kong. <laughs> and I was. And when I would go to see him, he had taken string, and he put strings across his lounge and had these cards pinned on it. And he, he, he first filled up one string, and he had strings and strings of them. Of people who were saying, well, his name was Ron Tully. Sadly, he fell asleep. And then his son got cancer and fell asleep. A tragic thing in the family. But I've given up both of their names at one point in time. Now, uh, you can't do something for somebody if you wait too long sometimes. I say give people their flowers when you, they can smell them. You can send a lot of flowers to a funeral and the person in the casket doesn't know anything. Be kind to people while they're alive. Because if you wait too long, you may not, may, never, may not ever be able to show kindness to that one. So the time to do it is when you can do it, and that's right now. Today, there's a lot you can do. Some of the things you can do today, you can't do tomorrow, just because circumstances will have changed. So that's number, that was number four. Give yourself a number on that. If you do all this all the time, you're just sending out cards to everybody. If you were like Dennis, you could give yourself a high number. But if, you're, if you could do better than you're doing, give yourself a lower number and then say, I, I can work on this. This is what living the truth is all about. Caring about each other. Number five. This is a little bit different. Am I easy being treated? Now, this, see number four, you're contacting people. But number five, there's kind of like people are contacting you. Uh, do people think of you as, as gentle and kind, somebody they can talk to? Children climbed up on the lap of Jesus and sat on his lap. Do you, old people, do you attract young people? Get away, you little brat! <laughs> or, or, or do they want to come and say hi? Uh, and young people sometimes just totally ignore, ignore old people. Uh, we had a young man in our meeting that he, I was totally invisible to. I mean, I'd see him coming, and I'd, and I'd wait to see if he's going to speak to me. And, and he'd go right by, and he, he never did. So I got so, I thought, well, i got to do something about that. So I'd wait till he was coming. When he got near, I'd go, <laughs> he said, oh, hi, Bob, and he'd walk around. <laughs> he doesn't come anymore. He had an attitude problem which showed, and eventually he just fell away. But you see, he didn't... He would have had a low good number on number five. He, he was aloof. He was smarter and couldn't be bothered with anyone else hardly at all. Sometimes young people, particularly this happens when you're away, sometimes young people want to come up and talk to me, and I appreciate it. I, I love to talk to them. And they want, I want to tell you something, Uncle Bob. Sure, we walk off and they tell us, have you told your parents? <gasps> I can never tell them. They go crazy! Here 
is a young person wanting to talk to a more or less total stranger about a problem they're having, they're hurting, and they can't even talk to their own parents. Sad. Are you easy to be entreated? That's, that's, this is number five. Are you approachable by your spouse? By your, you say, watch out for her. You know, she's you know, very touchy. You just give her a lot of space. There are, there, there are people like that. But we don't want to be like that. And if you are, not, are a little bit like that, be honest with yourself. You're giving yourself this number. And, and uh, are you open that people can come to you and say, I would just like to tell you my problem. And you listen. Talk, I spoke to the sisters this morning. Lovely sisters. had a great time. But uh, there's a book. Men are from Mars and women are from Venus. And I don't know if you've read it or not, but if you haven't read it, it's not Christadelphian. But it helps men understand women and women understand men. But, but some men, their wives can't talk to them. They just fly off the handle if they talk. And some women are like that. And then some kids are like that. And so this number five has to do with how easy are you to be entreated? Uh, are you approachable? Uh, and if you're not approachable, work at becoming approachable. If you just smile at people and say, how are you? I care about you. Then they, then they will say, do you really? Well, I, I do have a little problem. You, would you, do you have time to listen? Of course I have time to listen. Let's go off and sit down. I was speaking in Punchbowl in Sydney one Sunday morning. And a couple walked in. It was a packed house. and came up and sat down. I knew them well. I knew, knew them personally. Some of them had been guests in my home. And after the meeting was over, he came up to me and he grabbed me by the hand, off, right off the phone. He said, Bob, come with me. And people wanted to speak to me, you know. And, took me right outside, took me to his car, get in the back seat. His wife was already sitting in the back seat, and they drove off. I, I think the kids were wondering, you know, what happened to him? <laughs> he wasn't even staying around for us to tell him how awful he was. <laughs> but they were having a terrible problem, and they wanted to talk to me. Now, I could have said, well, look, I'm a guest speaker there this morning. I mean, I've, I've got to go back there. You've got to prioritize your life. If somebody's really hurting, you, you might have to be, I didn't mean to be rude, but you, you, have, you can't be two places at once. So I went with them. And then we had a, a good talk and a cry, and we came back to the hall. And a lot of people were still there, and I had, they said, where were you? You know, well, I couldn't tell them where I was. <laughs> you know, you can't talk about those kind of things. But uh, you, you need to be the kind of person that other people can come to and talk to. And it starts with your spouse, applies to your children, applies to others that you know. So that's number five. Number six, this is, each of these have a shade of similarity, but they're not, you know, am I a peacemaker? Some people are always having an argument with others. Uh, of course, <laughs> no matter which ecclesia they're in, everybody's wrong but them. Have you known people like that? They just, they just, trouble goes with them. If they come to a place, they go to a peaceful ecclesia, next thing it's all stirred up. Uh, blessed are the peacemakers, so they shall see God. Uh, Solomon says one of the things that Jesus, that God hates is those that stir up strife. Uh, are you in a clique? Oh, we have a little group, you know, there's a group of, and we talk, well, you're not going to have to go away, would you? And young people can be so, so cliquish. I, I, there's, a, there's a big gathering in England called Swanick. And it's a big thing. And they, they have it every year. And a lot of young people, three, four hundred are there. And some of the people go to Swanick and they're absolutely miserable. Because it seems that some of the kids that go to Swanick are cliquish. And you're either in the clique or you're not. And if you're not, you just feel like an outside street. So when I was invited this morning to speak, I heard about this problem. So I, I dreamed up a game. <laughs> and, I, and the game was you had to talk to other people 
and, and have them sign your card. And the further away they live from you, the more points you got. So if you had your somebody that lived in your same town sign, you got a point, but not very. But if you got somebody from a long ways up, you got more points. So the idea was to try to get everybody going out and talking to everybody. Well, some people played the game and said, oh, dumb old game, I'm not playing that. <laughs> and they didn't. And you can't make people, you can't do it. No matter what you try to do, you're not going to change something. I'm setting my ways and that's where I'm going to be. But the point of this evening is to figure out what are these basics. And if, you, if, if, if you're a troublemaker, if you stir up strife, if, if you have those you speak to and those you don't, Give yourself a lower score. Uh, Jesus says we have to love the unlovely. I mean, it's easy to... These, these sweet children that are here, they're so adorable, aren't they? I mean, we all love them. But some of us, you know, we got old and we got wrinkles. And, you know, one thing about wrinkles, they don't hurt. But uh, they sure do show your age. And Jesus is saying, you know, you be kind to those that aren't even kind to you. He says, sinners are kind of sinners. Did you know the mafia loves their mother? The mafia is a crime family and from Italian descent. Not blaming it on Italians. But they, and uh, they're all over the United States. But they are very family-oriented. And Mama Mafia, she's cooking off a big spaghetti dinner to give to her kids because tonight they're going to go out and rub somebody out. <laughs> And so, as a family, they work together, but they're against the whole world. So, the point here is, you've got to get outside your little comfort zone family and speak to people and be kind to people who you don't even know their names sometimes. You always go up and ask them. And so, Jesus says, you do good to those, if you do good to those who do good to you, what thank you, sinners do that. The mafia is nice to, to mafia. You've got to be nice to people that aren't even nice to you. If you lend to those who will lend to you, well, thank you. Sinners do that. You know what a bank is? A bank is, a, by definition, is an institution that will loan you money if you can prove to them that you don't need it. But you see, you really down and out need money. Bank won't loan you money. Jesus is saying, you loan money to people you don't know how you're going to pay them back. Sinners loan to other sinners that pay them back. He said, I'll tell you, you've got to be different. This is Jesus talking. Love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great. For you shall be children of the highest. For God, listen to this, God is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. And he's saying, you better be kind to them too. So, the question of that one is, how kind are you to people that you're not attracted to? I had the question asked me this evening. You try to speak to somebody who, who is grumpy and doesn't want to even want to, of course, want even want to respond. Should, should you just ignore them? And, you know, they, they they act like you're bothering them. But you know, you couldn't disarm people just asking them a question. Jesus did talk talk my questions. You know, I just love speaking to you, and I like I love to, to smile at you. Does it does it irritate you if I talk to you? And say, yeah, I really die. You bug me. Well, well then maybe the, <laughs> maybe then you must leave that one alone. But it was their choice, not yours. But if you keep being nice to people who aren't nice to you, sometimes they melt. Sometimes they will say later, you know. Nobody speaks to me in the meeting, but you do. You, you could, and, and you could think, well, the reason or not, you're so miserable. But you don't say that, of course. But, but you, you just have to be nice to people who aren't nice to you. And, and so this, this is another grade for you to put down uh, on number six. Uh, how friendly are you to the unfriendly? How, how much peace do you sow uh, to other people who are troublemakers? And if you're, one, if you're the troublemaker, I hope you know it yourself, it's pitiful how people can be so petty over little things. We have an ecclesia in America, since it's a long ways, you'll never know who it was. But they have an entry hall coming into their hall. 
Nice, nice, nice little aphasia. And they have a little walnut table. And it's a little table you can pick up and move it. And the one brother wants to have it on this side of the room. You come in the door here and the, the main hall is there. And he wants that table there. Now there's a sister in the meeting. She wants it over here. And so when he gets there first, he puts the table there. And then she comes in later and she says, oh. she puts it there. And these two fought over that table where it should be. And so she doesn't come to meeting anymore. I'll show you. And she does not realize what a troublemaker she is. But he should have given in to her. And she should have given in to him. Don't make a big deal out of something minor like that. Sometimes we, well, I'm standing on my principles, you know, but I don't see that in the Birmingham Men's Statement of Faith where that table's got to be. <laughs> so you see, sometimes we let little things get clear out of Certainly you do this raising children. You know, you, you can't really correct a child for every teeny little thing they do. You have to kind of pick your battles. And sometimes you just don't notice something. And then when it gets to a certain point, you go, well, we've got to make a stand there. And you, you do have to. You can't let kids do just whatever they want. But, but don't make a big deal out of every little thing in life. It's just not worth it. And you do so much more harm than good. Let it go. And allow yourself to be defrauded if necessary. So that was number six. Number seven is coming up. I hope you got a number by that one now. I'm running out of time. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, oh, I'm not. I, I got ten questions. Can I have? Can I finish them? I'll speed it up a little bit. Am I willing to do whatever I'm asked to do in the ecclesia? Are there some tasks in your ecclesia that are beneath you? We rented a hall for years and years and years, and we we came every Sunday, and the hall was all nice and clean because they had janitors and took care of it. And then we bought a hall, and halls get dirty, and we had to clean it. And so we've got a roster of brothers and sisters who, who would come and take your turn. And we had people in our ecclesia that don't do toilets. <laughs> well, they need to be done, but not by me. You see, is there anything that you're asked to do that you think you're too good to do? If Jesus got down on his knees and washed Judas's feet, that's about as lowly a job as you can get. And Jesus humbled himself at the feet of his traitor. So, so if the ecclesia asks you to do, I know, I know some maids in America say we don't do windows. Well, is there something that you won't do? Or you say, here my send me. If, if the job needs to be done, I'll do it. If you want some weeding done out in the garden, I'll do it. If you want me to do the windows, I'll do it. And so uh, how, how willing are you to, to help out with anything that you're asked to do? Give yourself a number, or number eight, or number seven. Whatever, you know whether that applies to you or not. But if you're just willing to, wherever you're asked to do, uh, we have a, meals, and somebody has to do dishes. Well, somebody, it's not a fun job to go out there in the kitchen after you've been, and you, and you can't go visiting because you know I'm out there washing the dishes. And all. Are you willing to do that? Oh, no, that's, that's just somebody else's work. Be willing to do whatever you needed to do. If someone asks you to help us today, say, yes, I'll help. Uh, number eight has to do with preaching. I'm not talking about public preaching. I'm not talking about giving lectures from the platform. I'm talking about you personally preaching. Uh, uh, do you care that other people are perishing? You know, everybody in the whole wide world that doesn't know about the promises of God are in a fix. Paul says, you are alien from the commonwealth of Israel, a stranger from the covenants of promise. You have no hope and you're without God in the world. Now, do you know anybody that does not know about the promises? If you say you don't know anybody that doesn't know, you'll tell other lies too. We all know people who don't know. Because the world doesn't know. And that verse says if you don't know, you have no hope. You don't know, but die! <laughs> Is that the way you feel about people that don't know? You, see, you've got a responsibility to, to share your hope with others. And all you have to do is ask them a question. I say, do you know about the promises? They promise it. I said, what promises God made to Abraham? Over all the way, over all the way, Abraham Lincoln? No, no, Abraham in the Bible. No, I don't know about him. Would you like to know about him? No, I don't want to know about him. 
Well, that's all right. It's your choice. You see, Ezekiel says if you don't tell them, it's your problem. If you tell them and they won't listen, it's their problem. You have to be very smart to make it their problem instead of yours. So all of us should be preachers sharing the good news of Christ's coming with everybody we can. Does everybody you know know you're a Christadelphian? I tell everybody I'm a Christadelphian. And what's that? Oh, they ask. Oh, well, if you ask, I'm going to give you something good. It's about one. I carry these on my phone. I don't leave home without these. This is, I have to pick up worn out one here. <laughs> so you, you, you can tell I haven't done it this way. <laughs> Answer your questions about Christianity. If I say I'm a Christianity, then what's that? There you are. Put it in your pocket. I don't, have, I don't even have to tell it. Just say, put that in your pocket. I was, I was flying all over Australia. Every day I was on a different airplane. Going one, I felt like I was running for office or something. Uh, I was in T Townsville and Rockhampton and Brisbane and you know every day I was in a little bit. And I got on this plane one morning and the flight attendant, lady, she says, weren't you on this plane yesterday? And I said, yeah. She says, what are you doing? I said, I'm giving talks for my church. She says, church, what church? I said, good job. She says, what's that? I said, just put that in your pocket. I got, see, I got better ones in my pocket. <laughs> and she had a pocket in her, in her little uniform. And so I just took one of these and I said, I know you're busy now. She can't stop to be a pamphlet. She's working the aisles. I just put, put that in your pocket. And it's got an address on it. Now, I planted a seed. I don't know what comes from that seed. I, my wife and I were flying to Perth a few years ago. And uh, back in those days, you couldn't make it all the way to Australia without landing in Tahiti because they had to refuel. Now it's nonstop, but this was way back. So uh, we were, I was doing my readings in, in, at, at my seat. And on a flight from L.A. to Tahiti, it's a long flight, and people walk by, you know. So uh, when we got off the plane in Tahiti, it's, it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and so you just mill around the airport while they refuel the plane and you get back on. And we're, Peggy and I are standing there in the airport in the middle of the night, and a couple of us said, I noticed you were reading your Bible. We walked by you going to the toilet, and I saw you reading your Bible. What, what church are you in? Wow. So I told them all about what we were, and uh, we got back on the plane. It was a short stop. And I'm sitting on the platform in Perth. And in walks this couple. And they had read in the newspaper. I'd given them a pamphlet. had my name on it. I got another one, too. I got a, if I really get into a good discussion with you, I got, a, I got another one. It's like this. And it says, personal account. And it says... This little booklet is a statement of my religious faith. I hope you will find it interesting. It's got my name, my address, my phone number, everything. And then I say, I say in the back, you know, God wrote history in advance. So there's, there's a history of the world, even before it happened. All history books tell you what happened except the Bible. And it tells you what's going to happen. So, and that'll fit your shirt pocket. I just go up to somebody and say, just put that in your pocket. And if you ever want to hear from, any rate, they had my name, and they got the little booklet out, and they looked in the newspaper, special lecture by the Christian Elman, Robert Lloyd from California. He, he said to his wife, that's the guy we met on the plane. They came into the lecture, and I'm sitting there on the platform with the presiding brother, and I recognize him. I said, don't draw you. Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> and I ran out, and I got him, and I brought him up, sat him down beside my wife, because the only person they knew was my wife, you see. And then after the what we all talked, and I would love to tell you the sequel was that they ended up being baptized, but that's not what happened. We never heard from him again. But the point was, the seed was planted. It's up, God gives the increase. Noah preached 120 years, and all he saved was his family. But so, so the point is, on number eight, are you always telling people you're a Christadelphian? Are you trying to share your hope with others? Now, now a sad story on the other side of the coin. I'm an insurance agent. I sell insurance for a living. Uh, I never ask a Christophie to buy insurance for me. Never, never, never. But if they ask me to help them, I will. So uh, this, was, this, this story is 40, 40, 45 years old. But this sister had a problem. I was writing her insurance. And she wanted me to come and see her at work. So I went down to where she worked. And I went up to the receptionist and I asked for the lady. And it was a place where you had to have ID badge and everything to get in. You had to sign you in. And they had to come and get you to take, the, take you back to their office. So you had to wait there until the person that you were to see escorted you to, because it was a closed uh, uh, facility. 
So I signed in, and she comes up and she gets me. And as we're walking back to her office, because she knows me, she says, Bob, she says, don't mention Christy Duffins around here. Nobody knows I am one. It was her office. I obeyed. I was sad. She was hiding her light under the bushel. Don't be like that. That's number eight. Number nine. What happened to number nine? There we are. We have bumper stickers over our way on the cars, and one of the cars bumper stickers is, don't follow me, I'm lost. Uh, if I was to follow you this next week, just pretend that I became your shadow. And just behind you, I just, wherever you went, whatever you did, I would sit behind you. At the end of the week, would I be closer to God or further away from God? Just being your shadow for a week. Now you do have a shadow. The angel of the Lord encampeth round, round about those that fear him and delivereth them. So I do believe that if you belong to the Lord, you do have an angel. Uh, do you ever go places angels ought not go? I mean, just think what you do in a week, and if I'm following you, will I be closer or further away from God? Give yourself a number on that. If you say, well, you know, you could follow me, I, I would lead you right to the Lord, because I'd be doing my Bible readings, I'd be saying my prayers, I'd be visiting the sick, I'd be doing this. Well, then give yourself a high number. You said, well, some of the things I did last week, I don't think I would have taken you very close to God. Give yourself a score that you think fits you. Okay, that's number nine, isn't it? Isn't that, wasn't that nine? Okay, well, last question coming up. What do you think about when you can think about anything you want to think about? We all have what we call a stream of consciousness. You are always thinking something. Your mind is never blank. It's just, it's just what, what, what do you allow to go through your mind? Do you, or do you think kingdom a lot? Do you think about ball games? Do you think about sports? Do you think about movies? Do you think about, about a book you're reading that's not on the truth? You know, so many books are fiction. Paul says, think about things which are true. Fiction isn't true. Why do you fill your mind with things that are not true? So, we are what we think about all day long, said Emerson. Psalm says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So, train your mind to think about godly things. Force yourself to think kingdom. If you want to be in the kingdom, you ought to be visualizing it. If you're going to go to Hawaii, you think, oh, I can just picture the sand and the guitars playing and the hula's going and all, you know, whatever. Whatever you, anything that you really look forward to doing, you visualize it. If you look forward to the kingdom, visualize it. Make your own picture of what the kingdom will be like and then, and then yearn for it. Be in control of your thoughts. Your thoughts make you or they break you. And you get to decide. Nobody but you decides what you're going to think. And so you could, you should, in, as often as possible, think godly. Now if I was having a surgery, and I had a, a brain surgeon working on me, he would want a finder's fee for you. He would find nothing there maybe. But, but if he's operating on my brain right now. I don't want him to think of Bible verses. I want him to think, be thinking of what he's trying to do for me. You know? So there are times when you have to be totally engrossed in what it is you're doing. And, and I honor that. And God under, understands that. But, but there are so many times when you can think whatever you want to think. And my question is, what do you think about when you can think anything you want to think? If it, if it isn't spiritual, if it isn't godly, give yourself a lower number. If you think, I just dream about the kingdom, I long, I, I visualize being in the kingdom, I, I think about Jesus and how much I love it, well, give yourself a high score. But you see, nobody can answer that question but you, because nobody knows what you think but you. And so now you're done. You, you, you've got ten numbers by ten numbers. And so now, we're going to ask you to take that page and transfer it to this page. And then we're going to ask you to take this sheet home and uh, keep it in your Bible. And 
it will give you the areas where you've got twos and threes and fours and say, there's the areas where I can work on. And here's where I got seven or eight or nine, and those I, I don't need to work on quite so hard. And so I, I just hope that these thoughts will stir you to good works so that you will become brilliant at the basics. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might, said Solomon. Find what you can do and do it for the Lord.